Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome to the fourth episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar here along with Jonathan Harrison, as always. And our guest Hot Route talker is Jace Frederick of the Pioneer Press. Jace, it is an honor to have you here on our new platform with Hot Routes. What's going on, man? I I think this is the first time somebody said it's an honor to have me anywhere. So I'm feeling really (laughs) good right now. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, we were talking before we went on the air that, uh, you know, I was expecting the long haired version of Jace. We got the short haired version. So the takes may be a little watered down from uh, what they would normally be. But uh, you're also doing Vikings podcasting these days as well. So you are fully immersed in the NFL world, but you also cover uh, the NBA as well. So you have a unique perspective on these things. But the way that it works, if you're listening to this for the first time, five questions mostly based on uh, what has happened recently in the NFL and some based on me just being strange. Um, So we will dive right into them with our first question. Here's what I want to ask you guys about quarterback play. It has been super bad, super ugly and God awful. I want to know what is going on. Why is quarterback play so bad? And there has been so many bad games to start the NFL season because of it. Are defenses figuring things out? Is it injuries? Are legends old? What is going on, Jace? Well, I don't like how you gave away all the answers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But just to start, I was like, okay, who's been good? Um, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Tua to some degree, um, at least in in moments for sure. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I could find excuses for anybody. Like, Tom Brady, okay, he's a great quarterback. His weapons are hurt. He, last game he had, he was throwing to Russell Gage and only Russell Gage. Like Aaron Rodgers, I'm not sure who is supposed to be like their top target. Patrick Mahomes adjusting to life without Tyreek Hill. has still been solid. Justin Herbert, literally injured. Keenan Allen, also injured. Like, I, who, I guess like guys who've been disappointing without excuses would lead me to like Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, um, guys like that but so I, i'm not going to give too much of it to the defenses i will say having seen this here in minnesota 
and having seen it with Devontae Adams in Las Vegas. I do think the average quarterbacks who maybe are usually strong statistically, like defenses are just bracketing the best option and saying, hey, beat us elsewhere. And guys like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr maybe will struggle to do that from time to time. And and now, okay, now we've got the guys who it's like, well, they usually put together good performances and life's getting harder for them. So now we're looking at like 10 good quarterbacks. And now you're going to have a couple injuries. And now we're down to seven, you know? So I think that might be the case as much as anything. They're figuring out how to slow down average quarterbacks. And then we just have had some injuries. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I think sort of playing off Jace's point, I don't think it's going backwards or QBs are getting worse. I think it's defenses starting to figure things out. And uh, I'm not claiming to be one of the newfound American experts on F1, but I kind of look at it like uh, how F1 transpired over the last couple of years, where over the past decade, essentially, Mercedes had been kind of the team that was far and away the champions. They were the leaders in the field. Lewis Hamilton was the best driver in the world. And then last year, Red Bull and Max Verstappen catch up and they win the title. And it wasn't because... Mercedes or Hamilton suddenly got a worse car, became a worse driver. It's that Red Bull finally caught up to where Mercedes had been setting that benchmark every year in and out. And Max Verstappen developed into a good driver, one of the best drivers on the grid. It's kind of like that with the defenses. They see, they saw how the offense was just kind of pulling away and they, the defensive coordinators and the defensive players, they had to find ways to stop them. And they eventually did. You saw that with Kansas city last year is that they had to change how they did, how they played offense so much that it, they kind of struggled mid season and they came back to it finally near the end they rehauled their offense over the offseason and now they're playing a different style it's just these defenses for me I think have caught up with where the offensive have been and it's it's kind of cyclical is that these deep the offenses kind of pull away the defenses figure it out the offense had to regroup and figure out a new way to attack these defenses yeah, it's actually kind of reminding me a little bit of like the early 2010s where you had Joe Flacco and Colin Kaepernick going to a Super Bowl in part because if you look around at quarterback play at that point, uh, there wasn't a lot of great quarterback yeah. play. And even, you know, Trent Dilfer going to a Super Bowl, uh, you had some eras of the NFL where it's just kind of like a dead year. I mean, even 2017. Blake Bortles versus Case Keenum almost happened in the Super Bowl or even Blake Bortles versus Nick Foles, where every once in a while, things just kind of fall that way, whether it's defensive advancements in a particular year or just injuries. And I I look around the league, there is a lot of injured quarterbacks. I mean, Mac Jones is playing hurt. Joe Flacco is starting for the New York Jets and somehow throwing 58 passes a game. Uh, You know, Justin Herbert is putting his life in his hands with a doctor shooting him up through his ribs that couldn't hit the right spot with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, But, you know, there are also some kind of uh, suspicious uh, no-shows so far. I mean, Russell Wilson in Denver, I didn't expect him to throw for 10,000 yards in the first couple of weeks, but, like, I expected him to put more than uh, 10 points on the board, and yet it's been a, a serious struggle for Russell Wilson in Denver. Uh, Derek Carr, I didn't expect to have this much trouble. Kyler Murray, I did not expect to have this much trouble. And, and I think that what we're seeing is a lot of good quarterbacks are also having their supporting casts fade just at the right time. So, like, Mac Jones is a good quarterback, but he's clearly not Josh Allen. And they decided to have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge call the plays. They don't have great receivers there. Uh, a good a good example would also be maybe like Tennessee, where for years Ryan Tannehill had great wide receivers and an unbelievable running game. But that's a guy who needs to be boosted by all of those things. And, and all of a sudden, he's lost most of his top weapons. Derrick Henry is not that scary anymore. And I also think, Jace, that defenses have really committed to the bit of saying, we don't care if you run. 
Go ahead and try it. We don't care if you run. The whole Seattle Seahawks single high safety man in the box, it's dead. Nobody does it anymore. And I think that the offenses are really going to have to find adaptations. And also, they were running the bootlegs and the Shanahan and Kubiak stuff a couple of years ago, and it was it was just crushing. But now everybody sends a defensive end up upfield and meets the quarterback on the bootleg. And then, and then that play is kind of dead as well. So teams have really taken away a lot of these massive explosive plays down the field, and they're basically forcing quarterbacks to dink and dunk. And, and I think they've been really effective with it so far. Yeah, and I don't want to like – I don't want to give Philadelphia too much credit offensively because they have played three poorest defenses in Washington, Minnesota, and Detroit. But it does sure seem like maybe the best route to success in the NFL right now is having two dynamic wide receivers. Um, Philadelphia with Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, pretty tough to cover both of them. Uh, Miami with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, pretty tough to cover both of them. Maybe we're even going to see a greater emphasis, and I know you've been calling for that for a long time, um, on that position and not just having a 1 and a 2, but like a 1A and a 1B, uh, because maybe that's kind of the next step in gaining that advantage and, and really pressuring secondaries to be like, okay, you cannot bracket both of these players. Jonathan, do you think that the run game it has returned? Because that when you mentioned Philadelphia, it popped into my mind like, well, who's the best running team in the league? That's, that just, it, we might have to acknowledge that now a team that is capable of running all the way down the field and scoring a touchdown on you and beating your face in with the run game, that that might be a bigger advantage than it even was a year or two ago. Yeah, I think the run game might be returning just because, as you said, defenses are allowing that to happen. They're saying to these offenses, beat us with the run game. You're not going to do it anywhere else. So the offenses may just have to key in on that and try and adapt that way is bring back the run game, which would be super disappointing for all of us who like the passing game and like these high-flying offenses. But it, it may bring back these guys who are able to just pound the rock and run the ball into the defenses time after time again. I hope not because I like the passing game. I like where this game has gone over the past, what, decade it feels like. So it might be just because that's what the defenses are giving. And there's no real perfect defense. There's always going to be some kind of weaknesses in the defense. So if that's where the defenses are going to let up, if that's what they're just going to give up, they're going to trade off to stop the pass game, then yeah, the, the run game's back. Yeah, and I think that we won't see the return of the um, Priest Holmes or Sean Alexander <laughs> that runs you know, 400 times a year or something, but we will see running back rotations where teams are. I, I think that is going to have to be an adaptation, but also, you know, maybe just timing. Like there is some teams, like there's a draft that's coming. That's supposed to have six quarterbacks who go in the first round. And there's some teams that just said, I don't know what to do a quarterback, Geno Smith. I don't know what to do a quarterback, Carson Wentz. Like we don't have one at this moment. And, and there almost has to be an influx of new blood into the quarterback conversation because a lot of these mediocre guys uh, have sort of proven that they're not ever going to be really good and you're waiting for the next wave. But that next wave draft class that had Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, again, it hasn't really come to fruition outside of um, Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones is still sort of up in the air at the moment. But that was supposed to give us all these new quarterbacks and it hasn't really uh, done that. And then, you know, when Dak Prescott comes back or when Kyler Murray gets DeAndre Hopkins uh, when Aaron Rodgers figures out which receiver that he likes to hang out with and, and do weird cleanses with, like <laughs> once they figure some of those things out, I think this will be the rare year where we actually see better quarterback play as the season goes along instead of worse. Uh, next question for you guys. So there's a lot of teams right now who are pretty upset with their starts, right? 
Uh, you have a Raiders team that's 0-3. The Broncos are a shameful 2-1. Uh, you know, San Francisco struggled the other night in an 11-10 football game, wasn't it? Uh, Green Bay and the Bucks can't score. The Cardinals are lost. New Orleans is broken. Washington gave up nine sacks. New England's just not good at all. I mean, I, here's what I want to know from you guys. Which one of the teams that is the saddest about their start will not be very soon? That That soon they will have a big turnaround and feel much better about their team. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go with a surprising one, maybe, the Cardinals. I think you look at their division. The Rams haven't really come in firing, defending the Super Bowl title that they won last year. They have a shaky division other than that. Uh, You look at the 49ers and how how messy they looked when Trent Williams went down on the offensive line. They couldn't protect Jimmy G to save his life. And it looks like Williams is going to be out for a while now. And the Seahawks, are they tanking? What are they doing? They've got Geno Smith as their quarterback. They're kind of a mess there. So that division is there for the taking once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. And as you just mentioned, quarterback play might get better throughout the season. And we saw how DeAndre Hopkins, what his impact is on that offense last season when he went out injured, how that offense just fell off the face of the earth. If you bring him back with the other options they have on that offense, Kyler Murray may be a rejuvenated quarterback. He's already got the run game or the ability to scramble out of the pocket and create those plays, uh, make them last longer. And so you have that paired with the fact that they're in what looks like maybe a division up for grabs. I think they could, they could surprise people. The only caveat is Cliff Kingsbury, not Cliff Kingsbury it at the end of the season. You mentioned the Bucks. Is that even a fair pick at this point? I mean, I think a lot of us look at it and say, like, okay, like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, like these guys are – like Mike Evans is back from suspension. Chris Godwin seems really close. Like I, I don't expect their offense to have many issues. So I didn't pick that one. Uh, I went with the Titans, uh, just the 0-2 start. I think there might have been some panic in the streets there. They had a game that I think they had to win against Vegas because 0-3 is too big of a hole. But now you look at it, okay, you're back to 1-2. and I think they're better than the Colts. And the next four games, they go Colts, Commanders, Colts, Texans. I think there's a real chance for them to Derrick Henry settle into the running game. I know he's not exactly the same player, but he has always been a guy who kind of takes a couple weeks to get going into the season, um, really wears people down. I, I think he's going to take off. I think they kind of started getting Robert Woods into that passing game with Ryan Tannehill. I know he's no A.J. Brown by any stretch, but uh, – also, Traylon Burks, I think, will come along. I think the Titans are going to go on a little run here. They're too well coached. Like, there's too much stability there. I think that's a team that is still going to win the AFC South in convincing fashion. And, and just kind of frankly, like, a loss to the Giants that you really should not have lost that game. You were in control for most of it. Missed field goal at the end anyway. And then the Bills just obliterated you. But that happens. I think the Titans are still a good team and are going to prove that here in the coming month. I think that's a decent pick. Uh, I, I'm buying Jacksonville, though, so I'm not sure that I'm convinced that they'll win the division, but I think that they can make the playoffs. Uh, my pick would be Cincinnati is 1-2, and two, and against Dallas, they really should have won that game. But that was kind of a case of one player and Micah Parsons taking over that game, and then their field goal kicker missing some kicks. Um, but normally their kicker makes those kicks. So, so I, I think that they're a team that's also going to figure some things out. Like Joe Burrow got a bit of a wake-up call of like, dude, you can't just hold on to the ball forever and shuffle around the pocket and wait and wait and wait. You're going to have to adapt. But look at Cincinnati's roster. Like that's a good team. And the AFC uh, North was looked at as being this incredibly strong division. But I'm not buying Jacoby Brissett being the next great backup quarterback to take them deep 
Uh, I do think Baltimore is legit, but not Pittsburgh so much. They're in kind of a reset year. And I, and I think that eventually they will go to Kenny Pickett and just be bad with a rookie quarterback. So the, the opportunity is there for Cincinnati. I think they should still be taken seriously in the NFC. I have a really tough time finding one. <laughs> I mean, I really do like green Bay is two and one and has survived really having no one to throw to. I don't know if that changes though. I think they're going to have a grind fest for the whole year where they rank like 17th in points or something and just try to hold on to the ball, do the running we were talking about, and then try to play defense. But all these other teams, I mean, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, you just can't really see a path. I guess maybe Carolina, because it's not like Baker Mayfield has never been good, but he had to show up there late and has just sort of worked his way through with 150-yard passing performances. And they've been close in games and then got a win. Maybe Carolina can emerge in an NFC that is just wholly unimpressive. San Francisco would be the other team that, yeah, losing Trent Williams is a massive deal. But you know, it's not the first time they've played without a perfect offensive line. Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo's done it before. And you always just have to factor in who's scary. Like, who are they playing that you're just really concerned about? So I think that uh, there's two candidates there in the West, but I'm less confident than uh, about that than the Bengals. Reaction. I mean, the NFC is going to have some team. Like, I know we can't pinpoint them, but there are teams that are going to rise and finish in the top seven. Like, I, San Francisco, I was too scared to pick them. I did almost pick them. Um, but I just that offensive line, I know, like, Denver has is really solid defensively. But it was like, if you think Minnesota's offensive line is bad and that's the team that we watch a lot, like, San Francisco's was horrendous. It was just, like, consistently getting beat up the middle, like, every single play. Hard to fix that. I think Kyle Shanahan might figure some things out. But... That's that's scary. I'm I'm out on Baker Mayfield. Um, Jacoby Brissett looks pretty adept uh, in in Cleveland, and I'm not saying he's a good player, but he he looks a lot more functional than Baker Mayfield did at times. And I know like he was hurt or whatever, but we haven't seen a whole ton of Baker in the last couple of years here look functional um, to the level that Brissett even has. Certainly is not doing it in Carolina. I'm not sure Carolina has the support staff around there to get the best out of Baker anyway. Um, so I'm not a big believer in them. But I also like I can't fault you too much. I would pick the Saints. Um, I don't know how Jameis Winston's back is like he's he's certainly made a lot of mistakes and the offense is setting up the defense very poorly. But there are just so many weapons there that um, they don't have to be great offensively. They just have to stop kicking themselves. I think if they play Dalton. I honestly, yeah, think super, it, honestly, right? that's a good point. I, I like Andy Dalton could just play functional football, which we saw with Taysom Hill last year. We saw it with Taysom Hill. It's just and like, Bridgewater. Bridgewater went five and zero with that team two years. Correct. Ago. Yeah, and Taysom Hill last year went three and one or four and one again. I'm just literally running the ball, not turning it over, and letting their defense be great, which it still has all the pieces to do. Yep. Yep. I agree. I mean, if Winston is throwing multiple interceptions a game, uh, I really, especially with his injury, it's it's very. Like you got plausible deniability there with his injury. Like, I don't know. We tried it. It didn't work. Guess we got to play Andy Dalton, who, by the way, historically is a much better quarterback than Jameis Winston. So I, I, I don't, I don't know why that has not happened yet. And I guess I was curious if maybe it even happens this week as they go to London, but maybe they don't want to make that big change. You're just asking for a huge losing streak with the guy that's throwing a bunch of picks. Uh, next question for you, fellas, Lamar Jackson is the all time told you so quarterback. Uh, there was a clip the other day that I saw where Colin Cowherd, of course, was calling him Tim Tebow back in 2018. Bill Polian asking him to play wide receiver. Did anyone actually watch this man play football at Louisville? 
did anyone actually watch? Because he had a relatively NFL offense where he had to make a lot of reads and stand in the pocket to make throws, and people acted like he was Charlie Ward or something. Like, he never did this. Uh, Tommy Frazier back in the day for Nebraska. But, like, the, he made throws in college, and people acted like because he was this great athlete. I swear they never watched him. So, anyway, uh, two-part question. Is it still fair to dunk on everyone uh, on Lamar Jackson who said he should be a wide receiver? Should we just dunk on them forever? And who is your told-you-so player? Uh, we'll start with uh, Jonathan here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think it's absolutely fair to dunk on everybody continuously so until the end of his career and maybe beyond that because of how they talked about him, as you mentioned, going into that draft and Bill Polian, as you mentioned, being the, the biggest proclaimer that he should be moved to receiver. That That's just a ridiculous statement. You don't move a guy who has that successful of a career in college and move him to a wide receiver position that he's never played before in, in the NFL where it's incredibly difficult to play that position. We've seen that over the years, that that it's just not that easy to to come in, switch positions, and play. I mean, Tim Tebow went to tight end and still couldn't cut it for the Jaguars last year of all teams, and they were the worst team in the NFL. So it's not just easy enough to switch a guy at the positions going into professional football. And for me, I think the easy one and the most uh, recency biased one, and it it a spark popped in my mind when you when you asked this question was that I had an argument with a friend after the first year of Kirk Cousins that he thought Kirk Cousins was going to lead the Vikings to the Super Bowl. And after the first year, I'm like, dude, it's a mess. He's not that good. He's just he's just a 500 quarterback. That's not going to do much. And here we are six years later. He's just a 500 quarterback, 61, 60 and two. He hasn't done really anything with the weapons that he's had. I know it's just the easy out there, but that's the one that is most relevant to me. That's the one that kind of sparks my mind first is because I had such a, a back and forth argument with a buddy of mine after that first year that he's like, Kirk Cousins is going to lead this team. He's good. Just give him a year, give him a solid offensive coordinator. Six years later, new coach. And it's still the same stuff. I agree with Jonathan that like the biggest Lamar Jackson dunk way to dunk on people like a Bill Polian is anybody who suggests that a quarterback plays wide receiver, we should just dunk on immediately. That never works. It has never worked. Terrell Pryor had like one average season and then was pretty much out of the NFL after that. Like it is not a legitimate option. So stop, never, ever throw that out again. I don't want to hear it. I understand like the trepidation just because, you know, I think everybody goes off what's like the most, applicable stat um, from college quarterbacking to NFL quarterbacking and the completion percentage is a pretty good one. Um, And Lamar's was in the fifties, just like Josh Allen was in the fifties. And usually that is an indicator that like it might not work out, but I think we've kind of realized 
you have to take the shot at the top 1% athlete because they 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 are great uh, for a reason like they are superior to everybody else around them they'll there's a chance they'll figure it out and if they do it is a boom like a Lamar or a Josh Allen who are currently like two of the best three or four quarterbacks in the NFL right now um so i i mostly want to dunk on Pullian. i don't just dunk on anybody who thinks Lamar wasn't going to be good because we have seen guys like that not work out but i that that guy should never go 32nd because the upside and just the chance of it really kind of changing your franchise for the next decade is, is too high. Well, uh, give your respect to Antoine Randall L who once uh, went from quarterback to wide oh, receiver. Oh man. Wow. I really missed out on that. Um, or yeah. Josh McCown once played receiver in an NFL game when uh, they had a bunch of injuries and he was their backup quarterback <laughs> for the Detroit Lions. So <laughs> wait, okay. Um, I Randall L. I will certainly take the L on that one. Um, but yeah. yeah, take take the Randall L on that one. But uh, I mean, that's it's extremely rare. I that was the only one that that popped into my head. I'm sure there might be a couple other ones historically, but it's it's not something that happens very often. But the the other thing too with Lamar was you didn't have to look super hard to find his adjusted completion percentage if he hadn't had as many drops. Like they had very very poor wide receivers that year, and he was one of the top in drops. And if you had adjusted it, it'd be like sixty. 62%, which is not, you know, amazing, but also when the guy can run for a thousand yards in the NFL and is not the first running quarterback ever. I mean, Randall Cunningham, Michael Vick, these guys had a lot of success in the NFL as running quarterbacks. It was like, this guy is so good at running. He's going to have to throw the ball in the dirt every time to not be good. And then there's also just the, the black quarterback tropes and the number, if you go through historically, of black quarterbacks who the NFL has let drop for whatever reason. Oh, Russell Wilson's too short. Uh, Jalen Hurts can't throw the ball well enough. Well, you know, you let him go to the second round and now look at him. Uh, and I think that it's been a, a long-held NFL thing that they undervalue a lot of black quarterbacks who have eventually uh, overcome that. Um, who is your I told you so player, Jace? Yeah, Um one quick thing on the quarterbacks. I do think like maybe we can start looking at growth uh, within a player like Jalen Hurts completion percentage skyrocketed every single year in college. Like it started off really low and it improved, improved, improved to like a high number. Uh, so the holy can't throw thing didn't make a lot of sense. But then like even Lamar, it only got up to 59, but it started at like 50. So like every year he was making consistent progress. Like that's something to look at, too. Uh, my I told you so player. Thankfully, he went off again this week. Otherwise, it would have been a little like, oh, uh, I watching the Minnesota Vikings play football for years and years. It was so obvious every time this man was handed the football, it was like, it seems like a joke, but he legitimately should play running back. Uh, he takes every toss, like one out of three tosses for 50 yards. I mean, he gets a handoff and he goes 12 and everybody's like, no, 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 that's stupid. This guy's a kick returner. Watching Cordero Patterson and the success he has had in Atlanta, consistently getting the ball 15, 16 times a game. I think he's second in the NFL in rushing right now um, after so much success he had last year as well. A legitimate NFL running back. You wonder, like, if he was an NFL running back in his 20s, what could he have done? Because now we're getting the 30-plus-year-old version of Cordero Patterson. Like, this is a special athlete who was used the wrong way for way too long. And it's just maddening because it's not like they never handed the ball off to him. And whenever they did it, it was wildly successful. It was just like, couldn't possibly do that any more than we already do. Like, two times a game, that's the max. Um, you know, just... Teams being unwilling to push boundaries is frustrating. And I think a lot of people thought, I think this could actually work. And Cordero Patterson has proved that, like, no, yeah, legitimately a, a good NFL running back. Well, particularly in 2016, 
Patterson wanted to play running back. I wrote an article about how he wanted to play running back and the Vikings had the worst running game in the league and still wouldn't give him the football. And it's just insane because he's one of the most unstoppable players I've ever seen. <laughs> like with the football in his hand, he has something special. I don't know what it is. He's not the most precise route runner. He's not going to have perfect hands or whatever else or fight for contested catches the way that great receivers do. But when he gets it, and actually in 2016, I think they did like throw a lot of bubble screens and stuff to him. But finally, it was, I think, the Patriots that said, we're going to actually lean into this and use this guy in the backfield. And since then, and especially in Atlanta, he's really thrived. But you're right. At the beginning of his career, his burst was even crazier than it is now. I mean, he could have been, I mean, of course he gets drafted to the team with Adrian Peterson, but even in, uh, but even in what it was, uh, 2014, uh, he was suspended Peterson. Like they still didn't, do they have Cordell? They would have had Cordero at that point. Right. So they still, uh, cause he was drafted in 2013. Yep. So they still didn't use him. They they, they used none. (laughs) 2014. He ran the ball 10 times for 117 yards in a touchdown. (laughs) 2013, 12 times for 158 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that's a great one. That's a great one. Well, uh, we'll just all have Minnesota connections here because it's where we live. But um, (laughs) Stefan Diggs for me, Uh, I sided with Stefan Diggs when he was upset that he wasn't getting the football enough. Uh, looked at the data, watched closely the tape back to see how many times he was open when he was running routes. And it was remarkable how many times that guy was open and could not get the quarterback to throw him the football. And also it was a run first offense that in 2019 ranked toward the very bottom of the NFL in pass attempts. And Diggs was frustrated. He was painted. And I think this, when you get a told you so player, it's when the other side of the argument is ridiculous. Oh, he's a locker room cancer. He's this, he's that like, no, he is at the highest level of his profession and is extremely competitive and believes he could be great. And he was right. And I was right. (laughs) And that, that, that if you just throw in the ball and, uh, I, uh, you know, hail from Buffalo and have friends in Buffalo. So when they traded for Diggs, I did a bunch of interviews of like, hey, what are we getting with this guy? And I'm like, you're getting a top five receiver in the NFL. I know his statistics don't say that, but that's what you're getting. And it has changed that franchise to have Stefan Diggs. Uh, not a surprise at all. And I mean, just it was just rooted in in ridiculous arguments. The organization would not listen to him. They wouldn't center the offense around him, even though that's what it should have been. So, uh, yeah, I, I think um, even though we are wrong in our opinions at times, you know, it is great to have one. I told you so to hold on to uh, next question here. I want you to just tell me which one of these teams is better for these upcoming matchups this week. The Bengals or Dolphins, all these teams play each other, okay? Uh, Bills and Ravens, Jaguars, Eagles, 49ers, Rams. So you're not you're not picking these games. You're telling me which of the teams is better in the matchup long term. Uh, I don't care who starts. Jace, go ahead. Do you want me to just list, list off everyone? Or you want yeah, to start just go with game? everyone. Okay. Yeah, okay. and explain yourself. Um, I did go with the Dolphins, but this is the one that I stared at the longest because I certainly – agree with you on like the Bengals bouncing back but I just think that Miami where they're at like I think their line is better um, I just think that their offense will be able to function at its peak for 
more of the season than the Bengals, who I think will have games where it just doesn't hold up. Um, defensively, I think they're I think they're pretty well matched up all across the board. And Joe Burrow is better than Tua, but I think that Joe Burrow is going to be more handcuffed by his offensive line than Tua. So I went with the Dolphins in a really close one, closer than you would think a three and zero versus a one and two team is. Uh, Bills, I mean, like, I still think that's the best team in the NFL. Like, I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong later. Like, maybe the lack of a running game will hurt them, but I don't see that. Uh, I'm with you that Jacksonville is very much a playoff contender, but I do think Philly is rightfully the favorite in the NFC right now. And and one of the you know best teams in the NFL, frankly, just in terms of their balance, all the talent they have, and, and just being really good on both sides of the ball. And then uh went with the Rams because I just like that. That was my pick to repeat as Super Bowl champions, and I'm not backing off of it right now because there is so much talent on both sides of the ball, um, and I just think like they don't even have to be perfect um, to survive, and it just kind of comes down, I think, to Matt Stafford's arm holding up. Um, but if that does indeed play out, like I think that team is going to be there at the very end of the playoffs um, in the NFC title game or, or beyond. And I also think that Odell Beckham will play for the Rams. That, that 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 is a thing that's very likely to happen as soon as he's which, ready to play. Which is pivotal because you can just tell that as much as they built up Allen Robinson in the preseason, Matthew Stafford has no interest in going there with the ball. And I just I don't think that he like the way he's running his routes, whatever it might be, there is no connection there. And you can tell mm-hmm. that he is he would rather throw to Tyler Higby than Allen Robinson, which is just not the way this Rams offense runs. So an Odell Beckham like addition would I think really set this offense off. It's amazing. When a receiver is toasted it is just over, over. <laughs> like it, there's, there is not like a slow fade into the night for receivers. It's like, nope, the guy's toast. So you're Kenny Galladay. You're just done. Right, yeah. right. Like two years ago, they're giving him 72 million. They're like, this guy's amazing. And two years later, it's like can't play at all. Gets 20 snaps in a game at most. Uh, Jonathan, your picks for the better team in those matchups of. I mean, I plucked them because I thought there's a lot of like difficult decisions mm-hmm. there. So who did you take? I think I went same across the board as Jace. I mean, Dolphins. I, I just, <laughs> no I just trust Rizzi on this show. No, probably no, not this time. I think they're just the better team right now. I trust that the Bengals will find a way to pull it together. But right now, for looking at it, just right now, I think the Dolphins are the better team. They have the better momentum. They have the better roster that just seems to be gelling a lot better than the Bengals are right now. The Bills, uh, they may have a psychotic offensive coordinator who likes to smash things in the booth after one play goes wrong, but they are the best team in the NFL. Their defense is elite. Their offense is incredible. They have weapons all over the field. They have more weapons, I think, than the Raiders. Ravens do so I trust the Bills more than the Ravens uh the Eagles and the Jaguars I think the Eagles just have a better offensive or wide receiver room than the Jaguars do I like the options that the Eagles have to throw to more so than what Trevor Lawrence does so I'm going to trust them because we've seen how how much how big of a role receivers can play for teams uh this year and then the Rams and 49ers I'm going Rams despite I think the 49ers being overall better but that Trent Williams loss is huge. That's going to affect their entire offense. We saw that on Sunday night. I just think the Rams are going to be better going forward without Trent Williams on the 49ers. Okay, so I'll try to make the counter argument for all of them because you guys picked the same exact games. Uh, as far as the Bengals-Dolphins go, uh, maybe we're overreacting to a new coach coming in with some new scheme stuff that the league is going to figure out. I mean, their wide receivers sure. are terrific. They have beefed up that roster over a number of years. I believe in it, but I also think that we have a tendency, and over the years you could see this, of when something sort of sexy comes out at the beginning of the year, 
like whether it's like a Chip Kelly or whatever it might be at the beginning of a season, Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona offense got off to an amazing start at the beginning of last year. And here we are, you know, by the end of the season, we're saying, let's say, you know what they're doing at all. Um, so I don't want to overreact to that. I, I think that the Bengals were in the Super Bowl last year for a reason. They have incredible weapons. That offensive line, I think, will gel. I, I believe it takes a while for offensive lines to come together. But when you look at their talent versus last year, it's, it's quite a bit better on the offensive line. As far as Bills Ravens, that is a tough one. But I'll say this. The Bills have had some injuries here that could be problematic for them. They've had a couple of safeties get hurt. They really do rely a lot on their defense. And if you're asking Josh Allen to throw 63 passes every game, be your running game and your passing game, even a guy who is just Thor out there can get banged up Like if, he, if he's asked to do that much. And also, Bills, drafting a running back, huh? Was that really a good choice? Like, I know it might be nitpicking, but the Chiefs did this with Edwards Alaire. And then the Bills did this where like our last thing that we need is that <laughs> running back. And you're like, why do you do this? Why? Like we're in win now mode running back. Stop doing that. Uh, Indianapolis did the same thing and their running backs incredible and they still can't win. Um, so that, yeah, that's always uh, baffling to me, but the, and I think that with the Ravens, their defense will start to come together. And when it does, Lamar has shown he can play MVP football for a full season. Um, I, I think that race is actually very, very close between Buffalo and Baltimore. I, I think that those two teams, Baltimore and Cincinnati, are going to be there at the end. The Jaguars, they just have Cincinnati vibes, like a team that stacked up in the offseason. Everyone went, did you guys overpay for that one wide receiver? Like, who cares if they did? They have the quarterback on the rookie contract, and their defense actually might be good. And as far as 49ers Rams, that one's actually quite hard <laughs> to make the case. The only argument that I think you have is that the Rams offensive line without Andrew Whitworth is not as good. And Matt Stafford has a tendency over a season. He's done this many times in his career. It's why I was skeptical of them last year and was wrong, but skeptical was Matt Stafford over a season always gets banged up. And if he's already banged up and they don't have the O-line, I wouldn't be shocked if Jimmy got better and Stafford got worse as the season went along. I don't necessarily believe in all of those picks, but I think that there are arguments um, to make them. So uh, go ahead. The Ravens is interesting too, because like Lamar has shown now over the last season and a half that he can just carry an offense pretty much by himself. But JK Dobbins comes back and obviously that was just week one for him working himself back. I think like seven carries last week, but that's going to be a slow integration for him. And then Gus Edwards is going to come back and they're going to slowly integrate there. And we've seen like this offense when it's balanced, when it has good running back play, like that makes them super dynamic to the point where it's almost unstoppable. He's literally been playing with like no running backs. And this has been true for this last year and a half. And and it's where he's been able to show off his passing game and his versatility and be like a great quarterback, uh, regardless of the things around him. But like that offense is getting more and more complete. And you did mention like those bills and the injuries and like losing a safety. Like that is concerning, frankly, like they still held up really well against Miami given that. um, But you know, it's, it's not as unstoppable of a force. Um, well, yes, and we Tua checking. also had a back injury that I thought slowed him. When I watched Jimmy run out of the end zone, I thought maybe he had a back injury. Mm, yeah. With that kind of decision-making. Um, but what? I do think with the 49ers, we should probably like, I'm a Jimmy Garoppolo supporter. Um, 
always have just believed in him and his abilities. I do think it's important to note that to think that he was going to come out and play even as well as he did last year with having like no training camp reps or anything like last week was literally his first reps with the starters um, was probably unlikely that will probably get better. Yeah. And that's, I guess the best argument that you can make is that it probably will improve. And also like, let's not forget San Francisco's defense is just good. Like they're, they're still very good with D'Amico Ryan's out there pulling the strings. Uh, and so it wouldn't shock me if they played a bunch of games where they got enough out of Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo and won 23 to 18 or something. Um, I factored in three touchdowns and a safety. Uh, so that's, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, that is one of the worst plays I've ever seen. I mean, it was, just, come on, it was man. bad. The, the able to like pile on throwing a pick six as you did it, like for those just watching live and like that was kind of excluded from a lot of the highlights. It was just him running out of bounds, but then setting and throwing a one yard pass that gets picked sixth. That was kind of the cherry on top for like some of the most inept football I've ever seen. It was a lucky break. Yeah. That he did the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was a veteran move to step out of bounds. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, really for that 49ers defense, Nick Bosa, one of the best players in football. I mean, Holy smokes. Just watching that game. Like, he got there almost every single time. Like, incredible. Yeah, I remember in training camp when um, Christian Derisaw got beat a few times and fans took videos of it. All like, oh, look at Nick Bosa smoking Christian Derisaw. Like, and everyone else all the time. Uh, okay, last question. I have been captivated by a chess cheating scandal over the last few weeks. And I mean watching every bit of YouTube content on this that – uh, you can find the best players in the world. A lot of them have YouTubes and they just stream and they talk about like what's going on. So the best player in the world, Magnus Carlson is accusing another player named Hans Neiman who had this crazy rapid rise in chess of cheating. So Magnus quit a tournament and then resigned another game against Hans Neiman to prove the point that chess needed to take this seriously, that this guy was cheating. And the more they look at the data and chess.com actually banned this player. Like the more they look at the data, it's pretty clear that he probably was cheating. So I won't go into all the details because it'll take a long time. But uh, this reminded me, though, of, of course, the NFL. I want you guys to tell me what you think NFL teams might be doing. And, and don't get yourselves sued by anyone, but might be doing behind the scenes to get an edge that we don't know about. And I also want to know, like, the definitive cheater of the last 20 years is Tom Brady slash Bill Belichick. Does that matter to you as Brady comes toward the end of his career uh, someday? I don't care who goes first. <laughs> um, I think there's definitely cheating going on. There's, it's too much of a big business. It's too much. There's too much money on the line. It's too lucrative of a win if you get the title that there's definitely got to be cheating. It's too hard to do it on the field, so it's obviously most likely going on in the back room. Just there's too many eyes and cameras and everything going on on the field that it's incredibly difficult uh, to do it on the field, that it has to be in some of these deals that they make uh, with some of the free agents maybe, I think. I, I know in one of the leagues that I follow is that the the word is that they're – it's super strict roster cap situation. So the word is that they help out some of the players with housing and stuff like that. Obviously you don't need to do that with, because with the NFL, because there's so much money that it just wouldn't make sense. But like, is there sponsorship deals that these players get for going to certain teams is, is there some of these other things that there's money going off to these players? That's not considered in the cap, helping these players make their decisions. I mean, that's it. It would make sense to me. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that would help them cheating right now. 
Okay, so look this up. This is a real thing. Cap circumvention is a real thing. Tom Brady was having money funneled to him through this doctor mm -hmm. from Robert Kraft, and no one cared about it. This, like, you can Google it, like, Tom Brady, doctor, funneling money. You will find this story from a few years back. This whole thing of, like, Tom Brady, just the ultimate winner, <laughs> the greatest human being. And you're like, but they're cheating. Like, of course they would figure out a way to yeah. do that. I think cap circumvention is definitely something that no one cares about in the entire world. But finding additional ways to get free agents there that are like a wink, wink and a nod, nod. And I, and I won't even go to the uh, Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans, getting him hotel rooms or whatever was supposedly happening. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a, an interesting angle, Jonathan. How about you, Jace? Yeah, I mean, like with Brady, too, it was always like, wow, look at this dude. Always taking less money to help them build this great team. It's <laughs> yes. like, maybe not. Um, but taking less like your contract. So I guess like there's some pride there, but still getting the money in a different way, shape or form. Um, I just think, and this is conspiracy theory for sure, like all the headset talk and everything, is there really nobody like in their home stadiums that's found ways to intercept like frequencies and and hear what is being said on the other team's headsets um even like maybe even calling into the quarterback is it so advanced and so encrypted that there's no way uh, that they are picking these things up at least from like or maybe it's between coordinators whatever the talk is like finding out okay here's what they're saying here's what they want to do here's what we're going to go ahead to adjust to that and be ready for it when it comes like to me that seems too obvious that like there's no way some team hasn't gotten that figured out maybe not on the road maybe it's too tough there but in your home stadium like where you know how everything works and you know where how everything is laid out like you can't do that um that seems to me like something that would be easy to do and get away with as long as you didn't have somebody like actually like come over the frequency and be like what the heck's going on here who's talking on this line like uh, <laughs> that would be you have to be phone call yeah yeah you have to be very old to have no like old the old phone lines or whatever someone else your your mom could pick it up and listen to your phone call with a girl or something Heavy breathing uh, in the background yeah. <laughs> mom are you on the line uh but uh yeah you know i think that the the thing about this chess cheating scandal is that you could put in a very very small earpiece and have someone watching the game because they're streamed online and tell you like what's going on uh, and what the computer says you should do. And there are computers that are so strong that they could they can beat any human at this point. So imagine if you're already a great player and then someone tells you in a key moment, hey, this is the right move or the right what they call line, like a sequence of moves. But like, how can you see it? Like the, the security in these tournaments is not amazing. So it's like if you did that, it's very possible. So the only way they can really figure it out is if someone played too good is <laughs> the only way if someone can ever figure it out because they have historical data on how normal humans play. Anyway, the, the point just being that if it's possible for someone to sneak into a chess tournament with a tiny little earpiece, it certainly is to have additional communication that uh, maybe we can't see from somebody and the other thing is, too, that it's not just like bugged locker rooms necessarily, but it could also be like hotel rooms. It could also be coaches rooms talking about second half adjustments, having someone listening in and then, OK, we know what second half adjustments they're about to make. And I mean, how secure are facilities, right? Like you bring in these fans to your practice facility and everything else. And like scouts can come in or, or whatever. Like there's, there's gotta be some ways 
to maybe infiltrate opposing teams, even with employees or anything else that might be, you know, working for some other team like espionage style and stealing as much information as they can and passing it back to another team. I mean, I, I think that there is no end to that type of stuff that is possible in the NFL because the benefit of winning in the NFL is unbelievable amounts of money for everyone. I mean, for the coach, you get to be a genius forever. Uh, no, and, and that's the thing about football. No one has ever cared. No one ever cared about steroids like they did in baseball. No one has ever cared that Belichick cheated. And imagine the ways Belichick cheated if that's the way that he got caught with the videotaping and everything else. I mean, there's got to be uh, many more layers to the Belichick cheating, but no one cares. Like, don't talk, oh, he's got Super Bowls, like, whatever. I mean, the deflate stuff, uh, a hammered Robert Kraft after the Super Bowls, like, who cares? We won. And he's right. No one cares in the NFL. If you cheated, it's like, well, good job. You got an edge. Uh, that's not how the chess world views it. But, uh, guys, this was a, a magical time. Jace, um, we'll have to play golf soon. Uh, you are always a great guest on any show that I have you on. Jonathan, you remain exactly the same. Every show, <laughs> same person. Um, so thank you both for your time. This was really fun. We do this every week, once a week show, breaking down what we saw, looking a little bit forward in a uh, unique way. So if you haven't subscribed and you're listening for the first time, please do that. And we will catch you all later.